Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Let's pick it up where we left off. Just two weeks ago, we learned about the uncommon attitude of Jesus Christ, sacrificial obedience. And it was, it was the high point of, of the passages in the book of Philippians, and now he's going to start, he's going to start applying that to everyday life. And, and you can see how uncommon, this uncommon attitude finds itself in almost every expression of, of cooperation in our lives. In, in the military, in the military, uh, for example, part of basic training is certainly that you would, you would shed your ego and you would serve the unit, right? Not just in the context of controlled environments, but actually in uncontrolled environments. It's pretty easy for a drill instructor to get the men and women to be cooperative and to be a unit when they're at the, at the gun range because all the bullets are going one way. But, right, when things start getting difficult, our default is to go back to our selfish way of living and we, we go to, you know, it's, it's about me, not us. And the purpose, one of the purposes of boot camp is to say, no, it's us, not me. At Grace, the premarital counseling, it's kind of like, you know, boot camp. It's a little bit like training because we bring a young couple in and they think, oh, we are so happy. We don't even know why we're here. We don't need any help. It's because they're only thinking about half of their vows, the part where it says better, not worse, right? Health, not sickness. And the purpose of counseling in, in that context is to say, look, uh, when the going gets tough, it's pretty easy for you go all the way back to this bent and demented default program that says it's me, not us. And I want to work with you, right, in a counseling to say, no, no, your default will become us, not me. I, I, can exp- I know how this works in my own life. I am famously fun on vacations with my family. You should know that. On our annual trip down to, to the beach every year, uh, I'll put on the Beach Boys and we'll sing happy songs and, and I'll get everybody to go along. As long as nothing goes wrong. A few years, a few years ago, we had a flat tire. I said, "Turn off the Beach Boys, put on some Wagner." You know, I've got to change this flat tire, and and it's because I felt like I have I have the right to have everything go my way and to be cooperative and to be relaxing because it's well, it's vacation. It became about me, not about us. That's what's happening in the Philippian church. They're getting under pressure. This is why there's a book called Philippians in your Bible, because here's a, here's a, here's a church that is famous, okay? They're, this church is famously unified, famously obedient, famously generous, but now they're starting to get under pressure. And, they're start, and Paul's seeing this happen, and he's, starting, he's, he's, getting, he's getting nervous for them, and he's saying, no, 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 listen, you don't go back to that default. You've got to go to a whole new programming, this uncommon attitude that you, you should have. So it's always, it's about us, not me. And so what we're going to look at today, let me give you a quick outline. What we're going to look at today, I'm going to kind of go and remind you about what this, un- we'll define what uncommon attitude is. It's selfless obedience. And then, we're going to, and then Paul's going to say, okay, here's how to live it. Okay, here's, here, here's, here's how to live it. And watch this. Here's where it leads to. And then he's going to, if we have time, he's going to give us a great example of what a person who lives with this uncommon attitude looks like. 
Okay? So we're going to def- define what it is, how to live it, where it leads, and then he's going to give you an example. That's what Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through whatever it ends, I can't remember. Uh, that's what we're going to look at. Let's look at the definition. Okay? Uncommon attitude. It is like Jesus. It's to be like Jesus. It is selfless obedience. Let me just remind you, it's a lot like the song we sang, the passage we read. Right? It says, this passage actually starts in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, where he says, Paul says, okay, uh, let this uncommon attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who was in the very form of God, but did not consider that as something to be grasped, right, or uh, taken advantage of. And then he, he released that, and he emptied himself and became a servant. He became, in, he became in the form of a human, even a human to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's, that's that uncommon attitude, selfless obedience. But that's not where the passage ended, remember? Okay, what happened next? It says, God highly exalted him. Okay, so God highly exalted him so that uh, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, that's, that's the whole picture of the uncommon attitude of the selfless obedience. And, and Here's kind of the big picture of things, right? Someday, you know, someday in the end, God will judge everything. Okay, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Everything will be made right again. It will be as though there has never been a sin. There there, had never been evil. And in between the time of the the first part of this passage, chapter 5, verses 11 through, uh, what, 8, the, the... uh, what, what's called the, you know, the, the, the physical Jesus coming, you know, to our life, right? Bethlehem all the way to Golgotha, right? His death and his resurrection. In between is the time where he was born, died, and was raised again. And this final time, okay, in between that time is it's a dispensation of the church. That's where we are right now. And how are we supposed to live? Paul's saying we're supposed to live with this uncommon attitude, the same uncommon attitude that Jesus had that brought him out of heaven and got him in this attitude of being a slave, a slave as a human, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're supposed to bring that to our lives. And, and he's saying that's how we're to live. So in verse 12, now we pick up the passage. That's why he says, therefore, right, all that Jesus has done, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but so much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is work in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose or his good pleasure. Let's just, that's a lot, right? That is a whole lot. Let's take 12 and then we'll look at 13. Verse 12 says, my dear friends, in my absence, continue to obey. <laughs> this, is, um, this is when your mom and dad leaves. Okay, kids, mom and I are going to leave for a while. Continue to obey. No, no, no. Obey even more while we're gone. That's what he's saying. Of course he says that. We all say that. Uh, it, but it says to work out your salvation. It is, listen carefully. It says work out your salvation. He is not saying work for your salvation. That's heresy. The definition of salvation is it's grace. Grace transforms, we say here. It's a gift. But, but what, what is he saying here then? He's saying, he's saying that what, he, what God has begun in you, a good work in you, you need to work with him, right, to bring it to completion. 
You, need, you should study your Bibles and memorize to brainwash yourself with the truth instead of the lies you believe. You, you should pray regularly. You should confess and restore things. And these things are scary for us. Okay? Many of the disciplines of the faith and many of the requirements that God's Spirit leads in us are not easy to do. That's the fear and trembling. But listen, we're not alone. He, he doesn't save us and say, good luck. Look at the passage. It says, he's right, he says, um, verse 13, he says, for it is, it is God, right? It is God who is work in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Verse 13, he's saying, look, God's going to be working with you. You're not alone in this. He's going to be working with your will. He's going to be working with your actions. The, the big picture definition of this is when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, when you receive the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ's death and you receive his righteousness and his resurrection, when you, when you believe that by faith, the Bible says you have a new covenant that's been enveloped in your soul. And now the Spirit lives within you. Okay? And, and, and it causes you to will to want to do things. And it'll give you the power to do those things. But becoming like Christ, there's a big word for that called sanctification. The sanctification process, the becoming like, like Christ process is not a passive thing. It is an active thing. You, you, <laughs> you're working with God. You have to say no to lust and, and, and yes to the ideal of innocence again. You have to say no to the values of the world and yes to the values of heaven. You have to say no to I'm not from here, right? And, and yes to I can't wait to get home. And so you're, you have these, again, the Lord is leading you to read your Bibles and to study them and to try to memorize them and to trust and to confess your sins and to bring right, reconciliation to relationships. There's the fear and trembling. God's Spirit, it's God's Spirit working you that unroots some things that your psychology, your psyche has kept, you thought it was safer to keep, you know, in quiet or in darkness where it has power, and it would be like God's will to cause that to come to a visible expression in your, in your mind, in your conscience, and it's just like, let's do this, okay? It's God's will in you. That's how it works. He's going to cause you to want to do these things. The Puritans called it wooing. Beautiful word, right? Wooing. He's a gentleman. He's courting you, and here's why I believe that that's a good word for this will in you, is because it acknowledges the dignity of human freedom. And I think Paul's appealing to that. He's saying he's, he's going he's gonna to cause you to, your desires to change and your heart to change and your mind to change and your emotions to change, but you're going to have to go along with this process. You, if you're stubborn, you, you'll just keep saying no to this courtship that's happening in your life. But if you let him rule you if, you, if you cooperate with him, right, then things change. And some of you know these stories, right? I mean, he's polite. He's going to respect your freedom. But if you freely go along with him, if you let him truly rule in your life, you know this, this is where the magic of the Christian life is about. Some of you know you have a story that goes um, something like, uh, here's an example of, of God working in you to will and to act. Uh, some of you have, have had such, like, I don't know, hurts, habits, or hang-ups. That's what Celebrate Recovery calls them, right? So maybe it's an addiction of some kind, some kind of an addiction to control or worry, right? Or perfectionism, right? Or, or vanity or, 
you know, right? Competitiveness, those sorts of, even those things, right? Anger and temper, right? All those things. And you say, I cannot change this, right? Read the books, drive down your will. It doesn't work. And then you had an an encounter with the power of Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit in you. And then it's, it's happening now. And some of you are living, you know, day to day in that context. And your life is a miracle. I'll ask you, right? Some of you have the experience where you can, you can tell the story of God's will and actions in your life by overcoming something that had power over you. Some of you, it's, it's, sometimes it's a little more subtle than that. Before you came to Christ, before you understood what Jesus has done for you and the power of, of the Spirit and, and the conquest of shame in your life, you looked at people in the church and you kind of went, what? You might have been married to someone. It might be a family member. And you're thinking, every, every week, though, you go to church every week. When do you, like, do you graduate? When do you, I mean, for the rest of your life, you're going to go to church? And, and you, I'm going to pray about that. Well, good for you, you know? Is it, you're going to talk to yourself. You're going to talk yourself in or out of something. You're not going to really listen, Right. Bible study, you think, how many times does a person have to read a, a verse or a book or whatever? When, does, when do you know it? <laughs> and then, bam, right? And then, new covenant in your soul. Then you're running around now, uh, what's that study Bible you said it was one of the best study Bibles? Because uh, how much can I read in one day before it gets bad for me? And can I come to church more than just one time? And I'm not going to miss. Sometimes we have people here, they won't leave. There's a few people, a second hour, they don't leave. We might as well just give them the keys to the place. Could you turn out the lights on the way home? And, and they weren't that way before because, because it was God's will in them. It invaded their conscience, right? And, and, and now they, like, they have a conscience. They never felt like they, were, they cared when they hurt people's feelings before, and now they, they have feelings for other people's feelings. It's kind of scary. That's God's work in you. That's him wooing you. Now, here's the application to this, okay? Listen, if it is his, wor- his will and his work in you, and let's just go ahead and go with the Puritan view of wooing, this, this idea of him being a gentleman, don't play hard to get. He will respect your freedom. And the harder you make it, it the harder it is to right, hear him. These urges that you have to read the Bible and somehow get distracted before you do, these urges to have, pick up a phone and make reconciliation, that's him wooing you. Don't play hard to get. The, the thing inside of you that doesn't want to do that, that's evil. That's the bent. That's me, not us. That's the me in you that thinks that you are the center of the universe and you being that center is always right, okay? It says in verse 13, well, it says, to will and work for his good pleasure. Okay? Well, you know what that means? As God sees fit. He's gonna give you gifts the way he wants to give you gifts. He's gonna give you opportunities in areas where he wants to give you opportunities. He, he's gonna call you to certain things. The way he wants, look, this sounds like, you know, he's in charge, do what you're told, because he is in charge, and you should do what you're told. You're going to love it when you get there. Just do what he says for his good pleasure. You, You, look, look, I mean, this is not the life I wanted, being a pastor. It's not what I had in mind, loving it. 
Okay, what I wanted, not so much. Your dreams are like, probably like my dreams, so shallow they don't get into the gates of heaven. So Paul, he says to Paul, I've called you from your mother's womb to work with Gentiles. And Paul says, Gentiles, you know, those are non-Jews. Do you know I'm a scholar and authority in Jewish theology? I do, Paul. Good for you. Thank you. Go work with Gentiles. I mean, you remember, you've seen it in movies and maybe even the cartoon version when God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go speak authoritatively, you know, to Pharaoh, the king god of Egypt. And he says, I'm not that good at communication. And God said, who cares? No one's asking. I made ears and I can make them hear. I made tongues, I can make them work. You're on. What about you? What about you? Let him work his will in your life to his good pleasure. You're going to love what he does. It's going to feel uncomfortable, fear and trembling. Just go talk, like we had a few weeks ago, just go talk to that guy at HEB. Just say hi. Meet the neighbors that nobody likes. You know, bring them a fruitcake. They might love or hate you for that, right? They won't know how to take it. Here's the uncommon attitude. It's selfless obedience. That's what Paul's promoting here. goes all the way back to That's what Jesus did. Look how it ended up for him, right? Let him work in your life. What he's saying here, as, as I'm, Paul's saying, you did it when I was there, so much more now. Walk the talk, right? Be, you know, practice what you preach, right? Live a life. He's already said this in this, in this gospel. Live your life worthy of the gospel. That's what he's saying. That's, that's the attitude. That's what you find in chapter, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Verse 14, he's going to start telling us, okay, here's how to live this uncommon attitude. Here's how it looks. He's going to start negative, and then he's going to show positive. Look at verse uh, 14 through 16, I think it is. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Well, how's that? How does that work? Anyway, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you're going to shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain in my investment with you. Okay? So it starts off by saying, you know, do not do. What does it say? Do not do. Do not grumble and complain. Okay? When pressure of life starts happening, right, it's common. Why do we grumble and complain? Because when the going gets tough, we turn to me. It's all fun and, you know, it's all fun and harmony and unity when things are well, but as soon as the economy drops or we lose a cup, you know, we miss a few meals or we start getting sick, whatever it might be, we might lose something. We turn in on ourselves and we say, it's about me. And he's saying, that's when the grumbling and complaining starts, when it's me first and mine. You can't get things done for the glory of God. That comes later. You can't do the purposes that he has for you when you're turning in. Great example. Okay. Uh, College basketball, it's all over the place, March Madness. Last month, Duke was playing uh, Georgia Tech. Okay? Let, let me this, you got to paint this scenario, okay? First, college basketball is one of the most difficult sports to coach in, in all sports. And one of the reasons why we have everybody on the courts a prima donna, and they can enter the pros at 18 years old. And so everybody out there is auditioning for the pros, and they want to leave next year. No one's thinking about the team. They're thinking about their next big step to the pros. In contrast to that, at Duke, we have a coach called Coach K. 
famous for not coaching players, but coaching people, transforming lives, coaching young men to make them old men or wise men, right? And so his big thing is, right, the, the, the team over, play. he does this all the time. It's not a sign for a play. There's five players on the, on the court, play is one. Five, play is one, guys, play is one. Okay, that's the context of this. They're playing Georgia Tech. First time in a long time, Duke fell below the top 25. They're not feeling good about themselves. Strike one. Strike two, Coach K is sick and can't go to the game. When I'm not with you, obey me still the more. Now, the, head, the assistant head coach or the associate head coach is no slouch. He played for Duke, and he was the OU coach, the head coach. And he wants to just play. He wants to coach at Duke because he'd rather be around Coach K than run the place. Duke starts losing to Georgia Tech. Now, as soon as there's a timeout or a foul, here's what Duke's known for. All the players run together as one. They encourage each other and, and, and strengthen each other. But Coach K's gone. A couple timeouts after a few points behind, they're walking to the sidelines. That doesn't happen. Now, on the sidelines, they're not listening to the coaches. They're telling the coaches what ought to happen. Whoa. You can see it in the eyes of the players. Not us, me. And there, finally, it got to the point uh, towards the, I think, third quarter of the game. One of the players is coming off after, after, on a timeout, a Duke player, and he just messed up. Another, one of his own players starts mocking him and telling him how bad a job he's doing. Next thing you know, right, on camera in front of everyone, double hands to the chest, pushes him, and starts using French words right there on national TV. You could read it. It's not a good day. If Coach K could intercept this game in the middle, here's what he'd write. He'd use Paul's words. Dear players, dear my, my dear players, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, even more important, work hard to show the results of your teamwork, obeying the coaches with deep reverence and fear. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Would you please play like Blue, Duke Blue Devils? That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's saying. When the, when the, reason, we, the reason when the difficult times happens and we get, we, we get selfish and things don't work for us anymore is because we turn in on ourselves and it's a survival instinct. It's about me now. It's about me. And Paul says that is not uncommon. That is the common attitude. Live an uncommon attitude. And the uncommon attitude is selfless obedience. And here's why. Paul says here's why. Because there's such a bigger purpose here for you. It's, it's, not, it's not about you. No, it was not ever about you. There's so much more. Verse 15, he says, watch. Watch what happens. So that, okay, you become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, then you can shine among them like stars in the skies as you hold firmly to the word of life. Here's, watch, watch how he's connecting these dots, okay? You have, this, you have this uncommon attitude. What is that? Selfish obedience, right? What, what happens with that? It, it, it's talking about us working as the body of Christ, the church. It's, not, it's us. It's not about me. Then what happens? Then you're pure and blameless. That leads to you being called pure and blameless in a, in a corrupt world. So? So that you can be a light, a star, shining in the bright of night. What's, what does he mean by that? Stars, right, in the skies. Those are directional uh, elements that, that are unchanging. 
that are constantly there, and they say, okay, now I know which direction we're going now. I know we're going due north or east or whatever it might be because of the stars. They give us a guide for life. And so Paul's saying, look, if you guys, if you guys keep having this uncommon attitude, with, and then you, start, you work as us, as a church, as a body of Jesus Christ, you're going to see this happening amongst you. People are going to come to you looking for direction. They're going to come to you and say, hey, I want to know about having a relationship with God and being involved in a community like you are. We'll have a seat. Let me tell you about the power of Jesus Christ to change lives, to conquer shame, to give forgiveness, to pay the debt that you owe the Father. I can tell you that. Why, why would you come here? Well, your church is famously unified. You guys are famously friendly. You're famously serving one another. You guys are always in, even when tough times hit your church, you guys didn't splinter and start other churches and start, you know, right? So, yeah, split up. There's a great saying. No one ever trusts in Christ until they trust in a Christian. Let's say that again. No one has ever trusted in Christ that hasn't first trusted in a Christian, right? I mean, for the most part, isn't that mostly true? That you have to, you have, to have a relationship with somebody that has a relationship with God, and you say, you know what? That guy's the real thing. That, that, that person really does serve her family and her, and her children and her husband and her boss well. And there's something different. She's like shining a directional light in the world. They're called to a greater purpose. And the problem that the Philippian church is having here is they're, they're, they've got this big vision of things. They, got, they understand this great purpose, and they're dreaming in miles, and they're stumbling on inches. They've got this grand view of taking the gospel overseas and maybe even being martyred for that, right? A a lofty belief system, but they can't get out of their parking lot without without having an argument amongst themselves. So no one wants to listen. Screwtape Letters, right? C.S. Lewis's fictitious book that is about uh, an older demon mentoring Wormwood, a younger demon. Here's what he says about this, okay? He says, he says, look, 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 if you want to split this guy up, if you want to keep him from having any influence uh, on his friends or neighbors, he says, don't worry about tripping him up on great marvelous tests of his will of martyrdom. These people, these Christians, they're really good at martyrdom. Okay, here's what you do. You make, them, you make him really mad at that woman's hat in church and how disgusting and ostentatious it is. Uh, just give him the woman's hat. Just let him fixate on that instead of anything else in church. And then the woman with the hat, have her be consumed by that other woman's makeup. Not too much. You know, just have her whisper something to her friend, and it's all take care of itself. <laughs> Feel that happening? There's no power in us if we're nitpicking each other on the petty things. Grumbling Stop, do, do nothing with grumbling and arguing. Do you know why people argue in church? Because they, right, because they find a ministry that's theirs. And they wonder, why isn't the whole church doing my ministry? How come my ministry isn't up on the slides or being raised money, all this sort of thing, right? Because now, now it's a smaller us contaminating the bigger us. And maybe we should talk about this, you know, in the name of God, of course, and for His glory. Maybe we should stir up things because it's about me and mine, me and my ministry. And that's how, that's, that's screw tape. And, and Paul's saying, don't, don't, don't get distracted on that because you will lose the bigger purpose in life. And that, and that is being a star. And look, look, I want you to see what it costs you to live 
a selfless obedience. Here's what it costs. This is where it leads. This is what it means if you live this life, this sacrificial obedience, right? This thing where you give everything away and you give whatever you want, whatever God wants you to do, right? Maybe he wants to make you a pastor like me, okay? God forbid. I mean, honestly. Okay. What would happen to you if that happens? Here's what Paul says. Watch how he's pouring himself out. Look at, look at the descriptive terms here. Verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering upon a sacrifice and service, I'm in service for your faith. Oh, woe is me. No, I rejoice and I share my joy with all of you. You too. I urge you rejoice in the same way and, and, and share your joy with me. He's pouring himself out. Listen, look how graphic the words are. I'm spending my whole life for you. And he, it's, every time Jesus calls people to complete obedience and absolute surrender and, and, and authentic lordship, he always follows with saying, you're trading up. You're making a good investment. You'll laugh all the way home. Paul says the same thing. You live with this uncommon value. You live for the purposes and the wills of God, what he, but he desires and for his good pleasure. Four times joy is mentioned. Four times. I rejoice and I share my joy with you. I wish you would rejoice and share your joy with me. I've got joy spilling out of me. Why? Why does this happen? Why can you spend but never be outspent from God? Right? I mean, just how does this math work? It's because he's working according to his design. That's why. If if you live with this uncommon, right, sacrificial obedience, selfless obedience, you're going according to the design. Look, think of the designers. God the Father is a servant. God the Son is a servant. The Holy Spirit, servant. When the Lord makes the angelic realm, they are all for the purpose of serving the glory of God. And when he makes man, he makes him to serve. He makes him to focus out on other people and to serve other people. We are absolutely the happiest when we are doing the will of God. Right? One of our passages that we kick around here a lot is, right, we, we are created for good works in Jesus Christ. After our salvation, we are free, right? We're, now we're free to do good works in Christ. You will never get a better buzz, right, than when you're doing the will of God and you lose yourself in doing it. You become self-forgetful when that happens. Okay? And that's why when we do, that's why, by the way, one of our values, of our three values, we're committed to service. We're not just trying to get stuff done. We're trying to help you be you or more than you. And that's why sometimes when people go on mission trips or they're just in a service project in any kind of context and they get involved in the moment and they're seeing a life change, they're, seeing, they're getting to speak about the power of Christ's love and forgiveness, they, they, they want to come back home and sell everything and go back to China or Mexico or wherever it might be. And they're not going grinding their teeth, friends. They're going with joy overflowing. They're going with joy overflowing. He only offers us what's better than we can imagine. And Paul, finally, he gives us an example of somebody like this. Very briefly, we're out of time. He gives us an example of uncommon attitude. He's talking about his buddy Timothy. He says, look, I hope to send, uh, I hope in the Lord Jesus that I can send Timothy to you. Look how he's described in verse 20. There is no one else like him because he has uncommon attitude who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone else looks on their own interests. That's the default not those of Jesus Christ. 
Here's a guy that is facing out. I'm going to send you Timothy. He has a genuine concern for you and your soul. Every single God-given job description that's ever been written and created has service built into it. Every occupation, by design, is service-oriented. Now, listen, I'm going to exaggerate. I'm going to give you two that exaggerate this truth because by very definition, okay? Nurses and teachers, they, they, they change lives. And I think some of it is because they are service-oriented by, right, when you look at what they do. But you, you look at some teachers and some nurses that say, okay, I'm going to get the job done, but I'm going to do more. I'm going to have an uncommon attitude. I'm going to care about, what, what, what did he say? Genuine concern for your welfare. How many people in this auditorium, I'll ask you to raise your hand. How many people in this auditorium have had a school teacher, maybe even a coach, that looked at you as not a part of a cog in his machine or her to, or her to get things done, taught you, okay, taught you, did a good job, but looked into your eyes and encouraged you, strengthened you, gave you hope? How many have that experience of a, a school teacher? How many of you with your hands up know that person's name still? See? That's because they, they understand they're doing what God called them to do. They're, they're, whether they're believers or not, they get this principle that this is their design. If, I, unfortunately, if you've been in hospitals or loved ones have been, you'll find that the person of contact most common is a nurse. And by definition, he or she has to do her job. And if they do their job well, you'll be very grateful for that. But every once in a while, you'll find one that has genuine concern for your welfare. And, and they will bring you dignity in an undignified context. How many of you have had a loved one or have been in a hospital where a nurse did more than just care for you, but cared for your dignity? Yeah. I bet you know his or her name. How does that work? They're following the template of Adam and Eve. These people, whether they know it or not, whether they're believers or not, now you get Jesus in on that. You get the power of his spirit working on that. You'll see every job has service as its job description. Whether you're the owner of the company or the guy working in maintenance, whether you're the general or the private, we were committed, we are, we are designed to serve. Here's the takeaway from this passage. Know this to be true. This is what Paul wants us to see. Do you, Christian have a sense of destiny about you. For God to will and to work for his good pleasure, do you see that? Are you, do you feel like you're just breathing air on this planet because this passage says otherwise? This passage says, would you, would you just go along with the wooing, <laughs> quit playing so hard to get, and let God work in your life for his good pleasure? And you'll see things happen and your life will need an explanation. That's what Paul's calling us to. And it starts with the therefore in verse 12 of this uncommon attitude of selfless obedience. I call this church to that. I call this church to that. Let's be a church of selfless obedience and see what God would do for us, what we could do for God, what God would do in us and through us, okay? Let's, let's pray to that end. And then we have a great song to sing. Lord Jesus, we lift up these truths to you. I mean, it's spelled out so clearly. 
That every time we grumble and argue, it's all because we're not getting our stuff, our needs, what we want, when we want it. And Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit would convict us of that. And I, God, I'd, I'd pray that you would make us the servants, that we would listen to your wooing. You, you're, that's your ambition. You want to do this. So I pray that we would listen to that. And we would stop fighting that. And we would serve and care, be concerned for other people's Lord, I'd ask that this whole church would be this collective of this selfless obedience. That we would regard each other as more important than ourselves so that you might have your way in this church. Not with just the people, but in this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.